Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. Close the gap. Will it pinch? Will it hurt? Will it cost some money? Absolutely. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. It's a great pleasure today to welcome Shelley Zalis, the chairman and founder of the Female Quotient to Good Company. Shelley, thank you for joining me today. Hey, so happy to be here. Exciting. So, so we on a Michael Shelley, podcast. Shelly, let me ask you a question. I've seen you at so many conferences and confabs, if you will, around the world. And occasionally you have a sweatshirt or a bag that calls you the chief troublemaker. Could you talk a little bit about that? What that motivation came from to see the problems and try and look at those trouble spots and fix them? I mean, I think that's at the base of what motivates you, but that's my guess. I'd love to hear your take on that. Well, I mean, I think Chief Troublemaker gives you permission, sorry, not sorry, to break the rules that make no sense and write the new ones. And I think what is incredibly clear, especially since the rules of the workplace have been written by men for men and don't really work very successfully for women, which is why there's such a disproportionate impact on women in the workplace, it's time to rewrite those rules and close the gaps. And when you look at right now the workplace, parity, you know, we're paid 80 cents on the dollar on average and pipeline, we fall off in middle management. And then when you look at the policies, they're just not working. And so in those moments, you either can follow status quo or get rid of the junk in the trunk and create some new rules that'll work for all of us. So Shelley, you recently wrote a piece in Forbes where you have a recurring column and you talked about the fact that women leaders seem to be doing, from a governmental perspective or a a public health perspective, seem to be doing a better job in managing the current pandemic crisis. And those are facts that's easily ascertainable. Why do you think that's the case? What is it about female leadership that would enable better results? Is it empathy? Is it understanding? Is it acceptance of harsh facts and the willingness to go make a difference? Well, I mean, when you look at countries that have been run by women historically, even especially during COVID days, New Zealand and Taiwan and Denmark and Germany, these are the countries that have responded first, fastest, and with empathy, you know, nurturing and taking care of community and have really uh, mitigated a lot of the COVID issues that we are seeing around the world. And I think it's based on those feminine powers of empathy, compassion, resilience, communication, passion, and we are caregivers in our core. And so as soon as COVID hit, cities closed down and even communication, women running countries found a way to make sure everyone in the communities understood what was going on, what needed to be done, and why looking after one another was so incredibly important because it wasn't about an individual taking care of themselves. It's about the impact one has on another. And that message really resonated. 
So is what you're saying, if men got more in touch with their feminine side, they could be better decision makers? Absolutely. And, you know, it's not men or women. It's masculine, feminine. And you have the feminine. You are the king of communication and bringing people together and collaboration and sharing and learning. And those are really important, powerful attributes and skills of our greatest leaders today, those that exhibit those qualities. And one of the things that has historically been invisible are those strengths. We talk about the assertive and the aggressive and the decisive and the linear and the analytic, the masculine, but we never talk about the power of the soft skills or the strengths that are necessary for leading today collaborative energy. Well, talking about that, Shelley, when you created the female quotient in its earliest iteration with the girls' lounge, it was a testament to your convening power to bring people together. It started out as a place for people to get hair and makeup. And it became so much more relative to that watering hole, if you will, that place where people were safe. And you did open it up, not just to women. And as many know, you did it against the backdrop of the conferences around the world, whether it was Davos or the Cannes Lions or CES or even smaller secondary and tertiary conferences and the boot camps. So much of that was around in person. A business like the Female Quotient has obviously had to reimagine its foundation because you don't have the ability to convene in person, although here we are convening certainly in person via the wonders of technology. But how have you adjusted to that? Listen, we're all about pivoting with positivity and proactivity and the conversations have to continue. And especially the equality conversations, we are seeing such a disproportionate impact with the double crisis with BLM and with this pandemic on the impact on women and women of color in particular. So the conversations have to keep going. And I think the power of convening and the power of collaboration is about bringing all of us together to share the good, bad, and the ugly, to have the uncomfortable conversations together so that we can create the new normal and create a more equitable normal for all of us. And so we were doing probably upwards of 70 pop-up lounges, equality lounges at big industry conferences pre-COVID, In COVID time, I think we've hosted over 420 plus conversations with over 1,400 speakers all around how we will close the gaps, how we will create a more equitable workplace, and how we will create a more diverse and inclusive pipeline. So all of these things have to keep going on and not just having conversations. It's also about the actions and the accountability that we all have the responsibility to act on and be conscious of. So you talk about two things there that really resonate. We have to put teeth into those things. I'll give you one example. What we're seeing in the industry now, and one of our superstars, Melanie Washington, has penned a piece on this, but speaking about how the industry has stepped up, or at least is trying to. And what we're seeing in the reviews that we do, in media and creative reviews for some of the largest brands in the world, They're actually making it a requirement now. No different than the state of California said, we won't invest in companies where a board of directors isn't 50% female a few years ago. We're now seeing agencies being held accountable if they're pitching business. What is the diversity makeup? What is the commitment you have? And not only the commitment, we're not going to hire you as an agency if you don't hit certain KPIs or certain thresholds relative to the diversity of your workforce and who's working on our business. What are you doing on the other side? Because you're advising 
the folks. You're giving people their career advice. You are Mother Teresa to so many people in this business around how they position themselves for success. Listen, I hope it's not a year thing, that this year it's women of color and last year it was women in general. And when we talk about diversity, we talk about diversity, gender, race, age, religion, intersectionality, LGBT, ability, all of those things. That is what makes the table better. It is good for business. We have all the data but you that said, proves Shelley, that. I want to stop you for a second because you did say something at the end. If you're running a business of any shape or size, you want to have that commitment. You need to have that commitment to diversity on all the tenants you talked about. But ability does have to enter into that conversation. Listen, it's all about intentionality. And that's why we say equality is a choice. Unconscious bias is an excuse. If you use the word unconscious, you're conscious. I'm so tired of hearing about people saying, oh, it's unconscious bias. It's implicit bias. No, it's intentional. If we want to have diversity at the table, we have to intentionally create that diversity. And that comes with, I don't want to be hired to fill a quota. I want to be hired because I'm making the table better. And I think that that's the things that we all need to understand is you also can't treasure what you don't measure. And so it starts with that conscious mindset, leadership at every level of an organization that starts with tracking, do we have a pay gap? We talked about 80 cents on the dollar for women. For Black women, 63 cents on the dollar. For Latinas, 54 cents on the dollar. So once aware, close the gap. Will it pinch? Will it hurt? Will it cost some money? Absolutely. But will it make your company better in the long run? And Mark Benioff from Salesforce took that big giant jump And now it just is part of how he does business. We're starting to see RFPs with mandates for diversity, not only in, you know, the corporation, but on the client's business. And I think that's going to force us all to be much more intentional about the choices we make or even at conferences. And how often do we say, oh, there's not enough representation on the stage? And people will say, because they don't exist. Of course they do. We have... I've had 1,400 diverse speakers in the last eight months. Just look in a different place. If we're looking for the title CEO, we're going to fall short every single time. So maybe we should look for topic experts, and that will open up a whole new ocean of incredible diverse talent if we are looking in the right places. And so I just think that there's opportunity right now for all of us to be more conscious to really lead with intentionality and make thoughtful choices. So Shelly, you were one of the founders along with Gail Tifford and a few other industry luminaries of the See Her movement in conjunction with the ANA, and you created that GEM score. Can you talk about that a bit and how that's worked out relative to a metric that you can use to measure? So there is actually accountability and a way to kind of close the loop and see if people actually did what they were supposed to do and how they stack up on the GEM score. Are marketers paying attention to it? Are you seeing a difference? Yes, absolutely. We have seen a tremendous difference. And I always say power of the pack. A company alone is power. Collectively, we have impact. When you are creating an industry measure, and you know better than anybody else, Michael, you're a guru in the media business, media, marketing, advertising. You're a guru in all of the industries. But it is clear that If you don't create an industry standard, that's where we create silos. Everyone doing their same thing, no one sharing and no one moving forward with accountability. And Paul Pullman, the former CEO of Unilever, he said, you can't treasure what you can't measure. 
So we created the GEM score, the gender equality measure, which evaluates advertising and entertainment on how girls and women are portrayed in media and entertainment. And it's a very simple score. Average is 100. If 100 is okay for you, my parents never accepted average. But if you want to be average, that's fine. Below average, you need to look at what you're doing and how to tweak it. And above average, keep going. But we know very clearly that media defines culture and culture defines change. And when we know for a fact that over 85% of purchase decisions are made by women, and yet women do not see themselves in advertising and in entertainment the way they want to be perceived in a realistic way, that's a problem. And we can fix it. It's all fixable. So it's one thing to have a problem that is too big that you can't get your hands around. These are all really easy issues to address. And sometimes it's just the littlest tweak to represent and reflect women for who we truly are. In these 1,400 people that you've been speaking to, I'm certain you've been talking about a veritable cornucopia of topics, but I'm certain one of them is what's the future of work in the context of where we do it? What do you see and what do you think relative to the snapback? deep breath, which we all need these days. I hope we never go back. I hope we only go forward. And I'm really about creating a better normal for all of us because going back, I think there's a lot of things that we need to get rid of all the junk in the trunk. And we're starting to realize all those things and create the new way of working that will allow all of us to bring our best self, our whole self, our true self, our authentic self to the table. I think that that's really important. So That's a lot of selves at one place. I feel like, what was that movie? A Sybil with all the personalities. Listen, I just think it is true. We are seeing in COVID, A, that flexibility of schedule works. We talk about social distancing, but I think we are more connected than we've ever been before. So flexibility works. I think Zoom is a great alternative sometimes to those in-person meetings that sometimes are just a waste of time. I think that maybe some of the travel we do is unnecessary. And so especially for primary caregivers, which is by default typically women, we are seeing women that are primary caregivers and women of color in particular having real challenges working at home and taking care of their kids on Zoom. When you have young kids, it's a big issue. And so I think a lot of learning when we go forward into the future of work, future of workplace, future culture, I think there's going to be a whole new twist on flexibility and choice. And I think our meetings are going to be rethought. And even the spaces. I love being able to, the power of Zoom for me is access to people all over the world at the same time has been quite remarkable. I do miss our lounges and conferences because I think the connectivity and The relationships, especially starting new relationships, it's that in-person, I think is still incredibly important. So can't wait to get to CAN. Hopefully it's CAN that's going to get us back on track. Well, I certainly hope so. So talking about that, when do you think companies will look at much of what they were doing with you in equality and in the boot camps you were doing as highly important, but as companies are facing financial decisions and making massive cuts and reorganizations and all the things we see every day. And where do you see companies going with their priorities? Are they going to still be willing to invest in these kinds of things as they have to make decisions that are hard decisions? Listen, equity has never been more important as it is today. So I have to say, I believe the work I've been doing and we've been doing has always been important. And we have over 80 major partners that are supporting and embracing and understanding that it is 
the center. It's the hub of everything that they are doing today. Companies today, leadership today have to have purpose and passion in their DNA. And I think that the world of equity isn't just going to, you can't wait and watch, you need to create and do. And so I think that what we are hearing from all of our partners is an increased commitment to the work that we do, an increased importance. And even in the thoughtfulness and the intentionality, as we are furloughing people and laying people off, we need to have women at the heart of those decisions because we already are behind in the pipeline and in the pay gaps. And so if we are eliminating entry level, that tends to be women. We're just widening the gap. It's a disproportionate gap right now impacting women and women of color in particular. So I think that there has never been a more important time to have conscious leadership and to help companies become a quality fit and next gen ready. And this is a great time to do it while we are all not on airplanes and we have focused energy towards creating a more equitable future in the workplace. So Shelly, I always try to ask somebody when I do a good company conversation a little bit about their own history. I know personally, you've always looked at both of your parents as guideposts for you as mentors. Who else would you name? You were an aberration in this industry in that you were a researcher that didn't wear a pocket protector and green eye shades. Well, it's a little bit of a loaded question because you've been a really instrumental role model for me. I would not have broken into the marketing and media world had you not have convinced me to go to Can Lions and opened up doors for us and also your convening power. And I really saw very quickly that the power of change is when we all come together and be vulnerable together. So I think that that was really important to me. And when you're a researcher, you don't have a seat at the marketing table, even though I was working on pretty game-changing research, strategic insights, but you don't have a seat at that table. And I think that being able to have even diversity of thought from different industries all together, that is where the different perspectives truly create the greatest change. And of course, Bob Pittman was the owner of my research company, OTX, and really taught me some hard skills, some really hard skills about managing EBITDA and the ROI and the importance of that. Now I go from ROI, return on impact, to ROE, return on equality. So my research comes into handy being able to create the measurement for accountability. But I have so many different role models in my life. And what I'm so blessed with is realizing that the trust that I have in the industry with senior leaders isn't just about the position they hold, it's about the person they are and the commitment they're making towards change and walking the talk and taking that responsibility. And we have over 50,000 women in our community, in the FQ community of conscious leaders, all supporting one another, working together and learning and growing with one another. So I could not feel more blessed and more grateful. So Shelly, you were kind to make that comment about introducing you to the marketing side. I always had a belief that researchers did themselves a disservice and you broke that mold for me. And I believe the disservice that researchers did themselves was researchers tended to talk to researchers, not to marketers. Has that changed for researchers now? I mean, you were a trailblazer. Marketers never invited researchers to their table. 
now they do. I think that the best researchers that I know today are storytellers, how you can reframe the data to answer the questions and create the context for go forward strategy. Well, I certainly agree with that. I'm accused all the time by my team of sometimes telling too many stories, but I always think the best way to make a point is anecdotally. And so for me, storytelling isn't just to entertain people, it's to communicate. And I think that's a great tool, but it's interesting because when we do a project at MediaLink, whatever the project may be, and I'm then reviewing it for the final presentation, I always will ask the team the very first question, okay, let's go back to ground zero. What was the question the client has asked us to solve? Well, I think even the whole see her movement, it was created when we looked at the data. The data says 85% purchase decisions made by women, yet 90% of parents don't think there's role models for their girls. 40% of women don't see themselves reflected in the advertising. That's data. Now the question is, is that okay? If we don't seek the answers or ask the right questions, it's easy to hide behind excuses for doing nothing. But when you know that, then you are more inclined to do something and you can also measure your progress so that you feel like you are impacting change and moving forward, but just not continuously going in that little circle of sameness. And Shelley, as you advise companies going back to where we started on DNI, when you advise companies about how to affect the change they have to affect, how are you telling them to go about it? Is it as simple as start recruiting in different places, which is certainly an easy answer, not easy to do, but an easy answer. Is it that or is there more than that? Well, listen, Mary Wells, which you know, and and I know she's amazing. She has a philosophy called double yourself. And what she says is, if you always have the same kind of friends, eat the same kind of food, watch the same kind of movies, go to the same restaurants, travel to the same cities, you will be so boring because your life will never evolve. She says, you have to double yourself try new things. And so I will go with Mary's philosophy. Look in places you haven't looked, because if you keep looking under the same rock, you know what you're going to find. And so you got to reach out further. And there are plenty of places to go. Start with HBCUs. I mean, let's just start with that. When people say, where are the women? Because they're not on stage. I said, they're all in the Equality Lounge. We're all here. Just open your eyes. And that's about looking in other places and also looking, but also seeing. And I think if you do that, you will find yourself in a much bigger talent pool of incredible people. You just gotta fish in the oceans where there's lots of different kinds of fish. So Shelley, as a final point, I would say this is one of the more challenging times for people entering the workforce. I speak to so many people who say, gee, my kid, is graduating from college or just got furloughed, was an entry level. I can't tell you my inbox, sadly, is filled with those outreaches. Is there any bit of advice that you can give to these folks as they're now kind of in a waiting pattern, which they probably didn't expect? Listen, I'm not the type that waits and watches, so I'm always doing, even if it's not in the direction that I expected to go in. So right now, I don't think it's the right time to look for entry level positions. But it is a perfect time to be helping companies to grow, especially young people with social media and digital experience. 
this is a digital moment. If we don't look at where we were and where we're going and we look at the now, we all need more help in the digital world. So we might not have budgets to pay, but we can definitely support growing an experience, bringing experiences into the fold. And those experiences, when you just say yes, with that attitude might lead to that full-time opportunity. So I think that my best advice is don't wait and watch, get in the game, whatever that means, learn, grow, gain new skills, but most importantly, help because companies like all of ours could use digital natives with purpose in their DNA. So So Shelley, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I want to thank you as the chief troublemaker for helping make some trouble on good company. And I appreciate your insights, as I know so many do. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications at MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Ernie Indradath.